Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Spicacelli. Welcome to another edition of Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Spicacelli. And this half hour gives us a special opportunity to, to meet some of the people who perform very uh, important vocations in our diocese, priests and deacons and religious sisters and brothers. And we get to hear the uh, behind-the-scenes story of their life and how they heard God call and how they responded to that call. And my guest today says he knew from an early age that he had an orientation towards service, and he's living that calling out today as a deacon at St. Timothy's Parish in Columbus. And his name is Deacon Marion Smithberger. He's joining us today here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, and he's going to tell us about his journey of faith and vocation. Welcome to Answering the Call, Deacon Smithberger. Thank you. Deacon, your family hails from southeast Ohio, but you moved to the Columbus area when you were five, so for the most part, this has always been home to you. Uh, were your parents Catholic, uh, practicing Catholics? Yes, they were. Yeah, we moved here into Columbus in 1959. And I grew up in uh, Reynoldsburg in St. Pius Parish. So were they active in living out the faith at home? Yes, and uh, and that was an important part of, of my faith formation. My, whatever my dad did, anything with the church, uh, he always encouraged me to go with him. And so I felt very comfortable being involved in church activities from a very, very early age. Uh, and and that was that was kind of how it all began for me. Specifically, what was your dad involved in at St. Pius? In those days, uh, he, would, he would get involved in the Holy Name Society. And something I particularly remember is when we used to do uh, adoration uh, over the uh, evenings. And we would take an, uh, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning and go and, and, and pray before the Blessed Sacrament. And those were, were special times. It was a special bonding experience between my dad and myself, as well as a special time for spiritual growth. And at the time, I was probably about 10 or 11 years old. And so that was, that was the, the beginning, like I said, of getting comfortable uh, with the church through my family. And, and you went to St. Pius School. Did, uh, were you altar server in those years? And- yes. Uh, for, we, in those days, we, we, they recruited us to become servers about fifth grade. And so I had the opportunity to learn the Latin Mass and then as soon as I learned it, they changed it. <laughs> Darn, don't you hate when that stuff happens? <laughs> so, but the Latin served me well. So I, was, so I, had, I had kind of a foundation of Latin when I went to high school, and that was, that was okay. And you say you had this feeling that you were called to some uh, sort of service, certainly saw that modeled by your dad, for instance. Um, but from an early age, did you ever wonder as a boy if that calling might have been to the priesthood? Yes. Uh, I I was uh, a person that I didn't lock into a particular thing. The part that I, I sensed early was that I really liked helping people in whatever way that I could. Uh, so sometimes I thought that what I would like to be is as a priest. Sometimes I thought what I'd like to be is a doctor. Sometimes I thought what I wanted to be was a counselor or a teacher. And so, again, depending on what day you talk to me, uh, I would have a different understanding of what I wanted to do. But the 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 thing that was starting to emerge for me by the time I was about seventh and eighth grade was I'm called to to service and and the priests Father Donovan and Monsignor Carroll th- I think picked up on that and they both encouraged me to uh, to go to St Charles and uh, to to think in tr- 
to try to discern whether I had a calling to the priesthood or not. So with their encouragement then of these two priests, and, and I think you said that they taught religion class too. Yeah, my, uh, Father Donovan, uh, this was at the, at the time of Vatican II, and so he taught the 7th and the 8th grade uh, uh, religious education, and that really opened my eyes to a more mature understanding of my faith. Uh, and again, that was that was a life altering event, and I I loved working with him. He was he was an outstanding teacher in terms of uh, working with him uh, as an altar server, teaching. And he taught us how to be an MC, mm-hmm. uh, and and so I learned to love the liturgy and 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 the church. Uh, by working shoulder to shoulder with him back in those days. Mm, what a great experience. And and with their encouragement then, as you said, you would attend St. Charles. How did God use those years of high school to continue calling you to service? The, the St. Charles was very supportive at that time. When I went there, there was uh, the the college was still there. Uh, and so we had the, the benefit of, of uh, college students who were discerning the priesthood. We had the benefit of a college faculty also teaching in the high school, and and so it was a very very rich uh, environment. And again, we're still in in the in talking about Vatican II and the impact that's having on the church. And so as it's impacting the priests, they're sharing that with us. And 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 and, and again, it really was pulling us forward. And, and that again, that really pulled me. Again, it just reinforced the service part. This is this is this is for real for me. I hadn't uh, decided that I wanted to be a priest, but I definitely was feeling like, yes, this is service is where I belong. That's what I'm called to do. Right, and the lay people, as you said, were being called forward, you know, to yes. to grow in holiness and to serve the church. So, after St. Charles, you went to OSU to pursue a psychology degree. Now, a lot of kids in college fall away from their faith. If it's going to happen, it tends to be in in those years. Did did that happen to you? No, and part of the reason probably it it didn't was because i i did uh stay at home for the first you know for my freshman and sophomore year and so i was still sort of if you will cocooned in my family and and the habit of practicing my faith was was being reinforced as i was maturing and uh and and that was was a i think was a, a good thing for me uh and then so when i moved out when i was a junior i already had the the habit of practicing my faith and, uh, and and continued to be active in it. And you had an opportunity to get involved in some youth ministry scenarios too while you were still in college. That was that was a a, a, a fellow who had uh, come from the Josephinum had, had thought that he was going to be a priest. His name was Jim Kemna, and uh, he was the youth minister at St. Pius. And uh, so I got involved with him, and that was the first time I had been directly involved in uh, youth ministry. And really uh, loved that. That was a, and again, a very good uh, mentor to work uh, side by side with, and uh, and so I so I did that. Uh, and then also while I was in college, I also had the opportunity to get to know uh, sort of an ecumenical group, uh, which was Young Life, uh, that was more oriented towards young college people than the high school, and that was a great opportunity to experience community. Uh, that I had not quite sensed as much, and again, like, I don't think it was necessary because it wasn't there. I just think that I wasn't there yet, and so. But but that was a, a, a wonderful opportunity to share my Catholic faith with mostly Protestant. The most of the other kids were Protestant, 
Uh, and so I could share my Catholic faith with them, and they were genuinely curious uh, about Catholicism because most of them didn't know very much. So it sounds like it was a respectful atmosphere where you could exchange your ideas. No one was trying to, you know, force you out of this and into that. It was just a, a respectful. It was. It was very respectful, and it was very, you know, again, all of us searching for that on that journey together. What did you plan to do for graduate school? I uh, basically did two things simultaneously. I took the LSAT and the GREs because uh, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to to go into law or into psychology. Uh, I decided that, it, that the way the cards ended up falling, I got admitted into law school, and so that was the, the path that I, that I started down at that point. But something would come up where you weren't going to go the traditional four more years of law school. So what happened? I was, um, uh, was going to school, and the amount of money that I was borrowing scared me. I never had borrowed that much money before. And, <laughs> and so I was thinking, you know, I'm, I think I need a, I'm going to take a longer path here than just a straight through so that I can kind of manage the money a little better because I was, I was putting myself through school. And uh, one of the ways that I was going to do that was I was working at the Columbus Bar Association. And so I, was, I started working there, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to just take a step back, save a little money, and then go, go back to law school. While I was doing that, they said, would you like to be the assistant executive director here? So I took that position thinking that that's a temporary thing, uh, and 36 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Not so temporary. <laughs> and, and why didn't you decide to go back to law school then? Because I got got to do what I really felt like I was called to do at the Bar Association. Uh, I was had the opportunity to continue to to use my interest in in teaching. Uh, I could actually I could teach courses. My interest was in primarily in management related things, but I also could work with the lawyers in terms of organizing their programs for their continuing education. Uh, and then secondly, I also uh, was working. Uh, uh, with the what's referred to as the lawyer referral service, and there we talk to people every day who are in one type of legal trouble or another, having some kind of challenge, and helping them to find uh, the lawyers how to navigate the the legal system. and And so that's you know it's it's again it's a it's a helping job all day long every yeah. day. And it sounds perfectly suited for you. and And God would lead you to an even deeper level of service than through the Columbus Bar Association's foundation. Tell us about a little bit about that work that you were doing. So the, the next step for me there was uh, that they, they had a, a foundation, and we had a vision of what that foundation could be, that this could be a vessel uh, particularly to raise money for legal services for indigent people. And, and so it, you know, keeping people, uh, uh, creating the vessel for people to donate to, and working shoulder to shoulder with the courts and with the Legal Aid Society to improve the way that the system works uh, for the poor, uh, and and that's a perpetual that's a moving target. The needs change depending on what's going on in the economy, uh, whether you know in, in Columbus or if you're talking about you know Scioto County or or you know Circleville or something like that. I mean, different places have different needs, and so you try to to figure out what's the most cost effective way to do this because you have to build models that are sustainable. Uh, and one of, one of the best things about the foundation work that uh, that I never knew about until I got involved with it was that this is an opportunity. People give you their lifetime gift. You know, that this is, I've worked all my life and now I want to give back. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be my steward 
to, mm. to, to accept this lifetime gift. And that's with that stewardship comes their life story about what this has all meant. Yeah. And to be able to share those stories has just been wonderful. Oh, I bet. It sounds like a perfect use of your natural abilities to teach and counsel and serve. And then I know you met your um, future wife somewhere along those professional years. Yeah. Shortly after I joined the Bar Association, my wife became a lawyer. And so we met at the new lawyers orientation program for the first time. And then we ran into each other from time to time at, at different committee meetings at the bar association. And then we started dating and, uh, and again, 30 plus years later, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So you're married in 1982. Was she Catholic? Yes, she is. Well? It, okay. But we're both cradle Catholics. Cradle Catholics. So that wasn't any kind of an issue going into that. We're talking with Deacon Marion Smithberger. He is the deacon at St. Timothy's Parish in Columbus and our guest today on Answering the Call. So, um, Deacon, you and your wife uh, started a family. You had a daughter, and you started getting uh, active in your local parish, which was St. Christopher's in Grandview at the time. We, yeah, when our daughter was born, I would, I would not characterize myself as being active at uh, St. Christopher's. Uh, but, uh, so we had a new family, and we were... You know, adjusting what I remember about the first year of being a dad was not sleeping much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then we, after one year in Grandview, and she was baptized at St. Christopher, we moved up to St. Peter's. Mm -hmm. And so then as we got in, and and that was as as she was about five years old, then I felt that tug back at my heartstring to get back involved uh, in ministry and and, in the church. And so uh, that that happened, and, and again, was was active at, at uh, St. Peter's for all the years that we were there. A lot of times it does take our kids to get us to that place where, we're, again, we're ready to give back to the parish. So um, you and Carol got very uh, active at St. Peter's, and um, you were teaching RCIA? That was towards the the end. I kind of I started, you know, put put my toe in the, in the water and started off as a Eucharistic minister uh, and then um, became a lector and as and volunteered when uh, to teach uh, the PSR program uh and when and and, and I my, our, although our daughter was like in the first grade I I really didn't think I had any skill teaching first graders so I volunteered <laughs> to, that's challenging I, I think this was a proper discernment <laughs> I, I I decided I'm really better at the sixth grade and so and that was you know uh teaching them scripture and so and it sort of again when I ran into Father Donovan after I had done that it reminded me uh, he was he was my inspiration for for what I wanted to share with those uh, those kids at the sixth grade level. Right at the, I remembered how much it meant to me, and I wanted to do the same thing for them. That's wonderful. Well, tell us how the diaconate vocation came up. Uh, in about two thousand and four, um, the, uh, the I've I've just as I was inspired by um, uh, Deacon Pellucci and 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 uh, Deacon Shermer at St. Peter's and. And so I could see what they were doing. And what I, again, saw was a lot of need in terms of people wanting to be more knowledgeable about their faith, wanting to participate more. But it just takes a lot of hands to do that. There's just uh, – it, it's it, ministry is not efficient. Uh, and so that was the beginning of the tug for me is I really felt the Lord was saying, I want your hands. Mm. And and so that was the beginning of the call for me. And so then I started to think, well, I feel like I'm called. Does anybody else think that I'm called? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so so then I I talked uh, to you know to uh, uh, to uh, Deacon Poirier, who wasn't a deacon at that point, 
and I ran into him and we were having dinner and he said, you know, I'm, I'm studying for the diaconate. Have you ever thought about that? And it was like, well, actually I have. And I thought it was an amazing thing that he would say that. Mm. And then I was at another event and somebody was, who had, had also personally thought about becoming a priest and had changed their path. And they said the same thing. It's like, have you ever thought about being a deacon? And I'm, I'm thinking that they're picking up on something and reinforcing something that's inside of me. So then I made the uh, a call down to the chancery and, and said, you know, I'm thinking about this. What do I need to do? What do I need to talk to? And I was, again, very fortunate to talk to uh, Mrs. Jean Morris, and, and she was right there and told me that what you, um, what, you know, you've, you've already got a vocation to your marriage. You've already got a commitment to your career. You're asking to, to be this is part of it. Is this what you really want? And I said, yes, I think so. I said, help me help me to, to get started on that. And she was instrumental. And, and, and Deacon Frank Annarino, uh, who was head of that program, de- he and I had gone to school together. He was one year in front of me at St. Charles. And so, again, he was very important in helping me to, to get started on this path. And Jean, down at the Chancery Office, herself is a deacon's wife. So yeah. she had kind of a good idea what you guys might be getting into. And, and speaking about wives, what was Carol's reaction um, to your interest in the diaconate, she was instantly supportive, and uh, and that and I, if 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 it would have been any other way, I would have taken that as a, a as a sign uh, that that God didn't really wasn't really calling me to do this. I really to do to 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 do the diaconate the way that I thought I was being called to do it uh, meant that that Carol would have to be doing some things for me. That I did that I used to do in, in terms of household chores and taking care of, of the household things, uh, and 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 so the, her support and love was absolutely critical, and and you know and I, and I I can't say enough about how important that is to to being able to to be effective as a deacon. And your daughter at this point was a little bit older. You know, she wasn't a little kid anymore, so that was at least one less of a big concern that she was already, was she already in college? She was or? in college. Okay, so she was already, uh, you know, somewhat independent at that point, but, and Carol had her own attorney career going, Correct. so you guys still had things to juggle, and your own uh, career as well. Um, how how would you, I'm kind of getting ahead of here, but how would you say that the, uh, being a deacon has impacted your role as a husband and as a father? The, the the formation of the diaconate really encourages you to to look at who you are and what what your role is to the community and to God and in the process of really thinking about that and praying about that I would say I used to think I prayed but then I became a deacon and I prayed a lot more and I prayed with a lot more heart mm-hmm. uh, and so what that did for me was it gave me a lot more compassion, a lot more patience. And those were those were graces. Yeah. Let's talk about the formation process, because it, it's pretty rigorous. Uh, you started the pre-formation classes in 2003, and then, then the actual formation process. What, what was your biggest challenge during the formation years? Well, one of the, the I thought in my head I was still 20-something years old. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought I could do it all, mm-hmm. and and I just didn't need to sleep. And I pulled very, those all nighters, huh? <laughs> I discovered that really wasn't true anymore. So I, I I I had to come at this a little bit differently, and I really did have to do uh, more juggling. Uh, and and so becoming a student again, 
I liked that, actually. I enjoyed being a student. But the juggling of the time uh, took some practice. Uh, and, uh, and again, Carol uh, was, was really good in terms of being supportive. If I, if I really needed to work on a paper or, or prepare a homily, she, she was there and, 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 and you know, understood that, that that was what was going on. So she was, she was a real angel during the whole process. And then before you knew it, in 2008, you were ordained a deacon. Do you have any special memories of that, that actual day? I do. The the things that 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 I remember the most was when we're called forward and and they and they put the uh, dalmatic over you and mm-hmm. and you're there and you're you, you know the whole congregation is looking at you as you put those vestments on for the first time uh, and and that that really very emotional experience. And I asked Deacon Phil Pellucci to vest me. That's that's one of the, you know each deacon asks somebody that's special to them another deacon. To, to vest them, uh, and, and again, and then after you're vested, then all of the other deacons come over and congratulate you, and, and uh, so that's that's all very, very, you know, right in the heart. And, mm. and when we looked at the pictures, I mean, you can just see how much each person is touched as they're going through this part of it. Oh, yeah, beautiful. And while most deacons uh, serve at their home parish, you were asked to serve at another parish. That's correct. At uh, St. Peter's, we had two active deacons and a retired deacon, and St. Timothy's had, had no deacons. And so uh, the bishop, through uh, Deacon Anarino, uh, talked to me and said, you know, Marion, would, would you and Carol be willing to consider serving at St. Timothy? Why don't you go down there, take a look, talk to people, see if you know, see how it goes, come back and tell us if that's okay. Uh, and and uh, so we did, and we, we, did, we thought we were going in, not knowing anybody, as it turned out, we actually did know a few people, but they were very welcoming. Just by pure coincidence, the priest who was there at the time that I started to intern there was Monsignor Johnson, who had been my sponsor at St. Peter's. So I th- we thought this was kind of an mm-hmm. act of faith that he went from <laughs> from St. Peter's to St. Timothy, and then I'm going from St. Peter's to St. Timothy. It turned out that he wasn't going to stay, but Father Hayes, who was the pastor there now, had been my uh, professor in in the diaconate program. I'd taken a couple courses yeah, from yeah. him, and again, uh, and he we were both St. Charles guys, uh, so we had that in common too, and and so we had you know a very nice working relationship. You know, some deacons tell me that there was a special moment when they really felt affirmed in their calling. When was that for you? When I the, the, when I started doing ministry, uh, there were there were a, a few moments where it's like. This is what it means to be the deacon. Um, one of those was uh, when when um, Andy Davis passed, and uh, they, the family asked, they said, would you come in and, uh, and open the prayer? Mm. Which, again, seems like a fairly simple request. But I saw that as a, as a challenge. I really wanted, I, you know, I thought Andy was a great guy. I loved working with him. And I really wanted to do something special. And so I wanted people to know how special he was to me. And I wanted to pray for him, and I wanted everybody else to pray for him. And so we did this at the Lifestyle Pavilion, which for anybody, this is, doesn't look anything like a church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's tables, and, and it's an open pit, and, and people are standing out there. And, and you know, when I got to the part where I'm going to pray, I'm thinking, it's possible here. I'm going to pray by myself. But I said, okay, for those of you who know the words, I want you to pray with me. And those of you who don't, just bow your heads and think of Andy. And I prayed, and the 
people prayed with me, and it was, uh, and that's when the chills went down my spine. Like this is what it means to be the deacon. This is what you're called to do. Yeah, because you really rally people. For the listeners who don't know, Andy was a a disc jockey on CD 101. So I'm sure there were a lot of young people yes. in the audience, people of all faiths, no faith, there in that outdoor um, gathering. And yeah, Andy attracted a broad spectrum of people and that was that was that was a beautiful part of that is this is as, as i was looking out over top of that uh out of, that that you know that, that that was who he was and and these were his friends and that's uh that was that was very very wonderful digan what's carol's role been in your ongoing ministry uh carol is is one of the most important roles that carol pro- provides is she's uh scrutinizes my homilies for me <laughs> i write them out bec- in because you know in, in, in the process of, of anybody that that writes i always say i want an editor uh because it's like well it makes sense to me but does it make sense to other people and does it touch you and so she reads and she shares with me the parts that touch her the parts that she doesn't understand and that helps me to take it to another level in the formation process they they told us that one of the most important spiritual directors we have is our wife, because mm-hmm. our wife helps us to stay grounded. Uh, and and also, I had a priest tell me, he says, you guys have a wonderful thing, that when you have a tough time in your ministry or in your life, you can go home to Carol, and you can talk about it. Mm. I come home, and there's not necessarily anybody else in the rector for me to share with. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Deacon Smithberger, it's just been such a joy having you with us on, on AMA 20 and hear your story would you kindly leave us with your blessing? Sure. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. And as if there's anyone out there who's discerning a vocation in the priesthood, the diaconate, religious life, don't be afraid to listen to God's call. If you're called, he will give you the graces. Trust in him. Amen. Thank you again, Deacon Smithberger from St. Timothy's Parish, and for sharing your story in the beautiful way you heard God's call to service, and you have been doing that so beautifully as a deacon for our diocese. I'm Elizabeth Ficicelli, host of Answering the Call. I hope you'll join us on Tuesdays and Sundays as we greet more visitors and hear about their beautiful vocations as priests, as deacons, and as religious brothers and sisters. Again, that's Tuesdays and Sundays at 1230. You have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficacelli are available at stgabrielradio.com.